comparison of the Aaronic priesthood, Aaron, and the Levites, the Aaronic priesthood, and the Melchizedek priesthood, of which Jesus uh, has derived his priesthood from. Uh, and that's kind of cool because the name Melchizedek, it means king of righteousness, and it means king of Salem or king of peace, which is interesting. Those things go together, right? Paul says to the Romans that the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen? So these, these kind of, they, they actually, we might say they come one after another. Uh, that when we have righteousness, then we have peace. When we have peace, we have joy. That these all work together. Let's start at verse 1. Uh, of chapter 5. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God. Now he's talking about, and he's talking to uh, primarily Jewish people, right? These are the Hebrews. He's writing to the Hebrews. So he's writing to the people who are very familiar with the, uh, the tabernacle and the priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood, the Levitical system, And so he's talking to them a little bit about that. And he says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He, that priest, can deal gently. And I'm reading out the New American Standard, by the way. Hopefully that's the one we've got up on the screen. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself is also beset with weakness. And because of it, He is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins, as for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes this honor to himself, but receives it when he is called of God, even as Aaron was. Now, primarily, the calling came to Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother. How many of you remember that? So Moses is called of God, chapter, uh, book of Exodus, he's called of God to lead the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. Uh, Aaron is his brother, and uh, Aaron had like fluent speech, and Moses had a bit of a stuttering tongue, uh, of which God healed, by the way, right? So uh, when Moses finally yielded to the call of God on his life, uh, obviously his stuttering tongue got cleared up. Aaron, actually, God consented that Aaron would be his spokesman, the mouthpiece, uh, but later on, when Moses found his tongue, Aaron needed a job. Uh, and uh, so uh, Aaron became the high priest. And this is the beginning of the, the, the tabernacle system and the law. And much of it is uh, covered uh, in Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So uh, that's, that's what this is writing about a little bit. And Aaron is this first one who was called. Uh, after Aaron was called, then the other priests uh, had to be of his lineage, and they were appointed. So you had the Levites, and the Levites, that was a tribe uh, of the 12 tribes of Israel. One of the tribes was Levite, the, the tribe of Levi. And so you had the tribes, and then you had uh, Aaron... And the Levites would serve the tabernacle. 
So they would be involved in everything that was happening at the tabernacle. How many of you have read about the tabernacle or studied something about the tabernacle? So hands up really high if you have. So there's a little bit of knowledge in the room. And the tabernacle, uh, this was something that was built when Moses went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. How many of you know about the Ten Commandments? How many of you heard about those? So two tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments written on them. So while he's up on that mountain, though, he has a vision, and in the vision he sees, and this is covered in Exodus 25 if you want to read it yourself, but he sees the heavenly tabernacle, and he sees the heavenly tabernacle in such a way that he receives it as a pattern. So then he's told to come, when he comes off the mountain, he not only comes with the tablets, the two tablets of stone, but he comes down and he's told to build a tabernacle for God's people wherein they can come and meet with God and the tabernacle will look like the one that he's seen in heaven and to build it according to that pattern. So it goes back to this whole thing that we talked about a few weeks ago, um, the type and the shadow. It goes back to that there is a real tabernacle in the heavenlies. And by the way, that's the tabernacle that Jesus has entered into, the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. This is the, that's the tabernacle that Jesus has entered into with his blood that's been offered for us when he died on the cross in our place. So this is the tabernacle that he's entered into to to wash us, to cleanse us. Uh, And uh, in the earthly tabernacle, uh, there was the outer court and the inner court, the Holy of Holies. Uh, The Holy of Holies, the, the priest would go into, that descendant of Aaron would go into that Holy of Holies, the the, the most holy place once a year to not only offer sacrifice for their own sin because they too uh, had frailty, infirmity, but also to offer sin for the people. So, and, and, and in, that, in that place, uh, right over the Ark of the Covenant, uh, is, it's called the mercy seat. Isn't that cool? Uh, how many of you need mercy? How many of you might need some today? Uh, it's, it's so cool to think that God's throne, that when Moses saw that vision in Exodus 25, that what he saw, he saw the true mercy seat, that the, that the sacrifice that Jesus would make uh, on our behalf, that, that that sacrifice would give us access to the true mercy seat at the throne of God, so this is why in Hebrews 4, 16, it says that we can enter now by the blood of Jesus with confidence to receive mercy in the time of need because Jesus has entered in for us into the true tabernacle and there he's offered the sacrifice of himself. He serves not only as the sacrifice, but he serves as the priest in the holy place, in the holy of holies, representing us so that we can receive mercy. And uh, I love it that God's mercies are new every morning. Amen. Amen. And the word mercy, you know what mercy means? Mercy means to stop the judgment that is due you. By the way, we would do well to pray mercy prayers over ourselves now and then because this is how the enemy gets access to us sometimes 
is that we haven't engaged in mercy. Maybe even we ourselves are holding ourselves in regret or holding ourselves in blame. We're holding ourselves in a posture of unforgiveness. And so that's empowering the enemy to actually deal with us out of justice, out of judgment, uh, instead of out of mercy. But we don't really want what we deserve, do we? How many of you want what you deserve? With regard to sin or failure. No, I... Uh, uh, I'm glad that the wild oats that I've sown are actually springing up with flowers and palm trees and that mercy has stopped the judgment that I deserved because of what Jesus has done on my behalf and I'm a partaker of grace not because of my perfect works but because I'm relying on him, looking to him following him, obeying his voice, hiding myself in him. Amen? How many of you like that? As it was with Aaron, jumping to the next verse now, verse 5, so also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. By the way, that's Psalm uh, two. Uh, one thing that's really cool is that you know Jesus is the Word made flesh, right? So uh, as we find these crazy mess- messianic uh, scriptures, prophecies, scriptures, words out of the Old Testament about Him, uh, as we find those, as we discover those, as we read those, those were actually that was actually part of God's way to bring forth the Son. Because the Son is the Word made flesh. So as he spoke of the Son, as he declared the Son, as he moved upon prophets to prophesy about the Son, he was actually sowing his Word. And this is Isaiah 55, 11, and 12. So is my Word that goes forth from my mouth. It will bear fruit. It will accomplish what it set out to do. And and we don't realize sometimes that all of these things that Moses was writing in the Torah as he was declaring the Christ, these things that David was writing in the Psalms, these things that the prophets were writing, they were writing things that weren't just like knowledge. They were writing things that actually were the seedbed of bringing forth the Christ. When we call something a a Messiah scripture, a Messianic scripture, we don't realize the power that actually when Christ came, Galatians 4, at the fullness of time, at meaning the spirit realm got so pregnant it couldn't help but bring him forth. The spirit realm got so pregnant with the word. In other words, the word came to full term, and so he had to come forth. That's the fullness of time. Isn't that fun to think about? So this is out of Psalm uh, 2, the the psalmist declaring, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And then uh, Paul says, there's another passage that says, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. This is a declaration 
uh, over Yeshua, over Jesus, over the Messiah, that he would not be coming out of the tribe of Levi. He would be coming out of a different tribe. He would derive his priesthood out of a different origination. And, and Hebrews is going to tell us that his priesthood, actually instead, of, actually instead of coming out of the lineage of Aaron and inheriting priesthood, the power to represent people before God, just coming out of the lineage of another child that was born, another firstborn son out of the tribe of, or out of the lineage of Aaron, rather that the priesthood would come from an indestructible life. Melchizedek represents a priesthood that comes from an indestructible life. I want to jump over and actually read to you if I can find it. Is this okay? Uh, Psalm 110, because the scripture he references here is Psalm 110. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And I think it might be a fun one to read because this is what God was declaring through the psalmist uh, over Jesus. Uh, and, and it's fun because I, I, like, I like it when we see the power of the Lord, when we see the victory of the Lord, when we see that we are, we're connected to the, 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 the victorious warrior, to him who is winning every battle. Amen. Doesn't that give you hope? When you wake up in the morning, this is who you're knit to. The Lord says to my Lord, this is David writing, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies. This is Psalm 110, by the way, verse 1. Set at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Did you know we already read that out of Hebrews 1? And so Paul was saying in Hebrews 1, he was saying, um, Father has never said that this over an angel, right? There's been no human. There's been no other human. There's been no other being. There's been no angel uh, that he's said this over. Set at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Now, Zion, we know a little bit about Zion. Uh, Zion is the, was the highest mount in Jerusalem. Zion is where David pitched a tent and then brought in the ark without sacrifice. Zion was this anomaly, this oddity. Zion was this crazy place that that you had, you had Shiloh existing with the tabernacle, and at the same time, David steals the ark from the Philistines who had stole it from Israel, brings it into a tent on the highest mount in Jerusalem, names the place Zion, which means the bright shining of God's presence, where heaven meets earth, and then he appoints worshipers and worshipers come 24-7 to worship around the ark of the covenant. And the sacrifice that is brought in Zion, we're told, was not of blood and goats and animals and bulls. It was the fruit of our lips. It was worshipers bringing the sacrifice of praise. This is before the New Testament arrives. This is, and by the way, 
uh, just for fun, this is why the New Testament didn't need a songbook or a hymn book. You ever wondered why the New Testament doesn't need instruction on praise and worship? Because David entered into a foreshadowing of New Testament life on Mount Zion and showed us how to worship God. So when somebody reads to you Psalm 100, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. Guess what? That is relevant for the New Testament church. And that's why the New Testament writing doesn't have a bunch of stuff in it about how to worship. It doesn't have a bunch of stuff about what instruments to play, the harp, the lyre, the trumpet. Because uh, uh, the instruction of worship is in the Psalms. How many of you already suspected that? All right, is that all right? The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has sworn and, sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief man over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Speaking of the victory of the Lord, but speaking also uh, of the priesthood that he would come from. And that's this priesthood of Melchizedek. You okay with all this? I don't know if I should say more about this or not. Uh, At this moment, maybe I should. Um, It might be a good moment. A good moment to say more about Melchizedek. I have to weigh my moments. Amen. So uh, it's interesting because uh, he's making this association with Melchizedek. And how many of you have heard of Melchizedek before? How many of you know something about Melchizedek? So Melchizedek is this, is this crazy cool character that we know very little about. He appears in one section of Scripture in Genesis chapter 14, verse 17. Lot was, uh, Lot was taken captive by five uh, kings uh, who plundered the city that Lot was in. And so Abram, Abraham hears about it. We're in chapter 15, chapter, actually chapter 14. Uh, he hears about this. And uh, so he's in covenant with Lot. If you're in covenant with somebody, uh, then we know what covenant means. Remember, covenant means unto the death. And so because he's in covenant with Lot, then he has to protect Lot, even if that means giving his life. So he gathers all of the warriors in his house, all of the servants. There's 318 of them. And they go after these five kings, and they capture the kings, 
and they do bad things to the kings, and they steal all the plunder from the kings that they had stolen from these people so they could return it, and they come back with all this plunder, they come back with Lot, and when he comes back, then he meets up with, uh, it's like he's the hero of rescue. And so he meets up with these five kings, uh, and there will be a restoration of that which uh, has been stolen. Uh, But when he meets up with them, uh, this is where Melchizedek shows up. So we see this, and I don't know if I have the verse to read it to you, um, and I might. But it's Genesis 14, 17. You okay? After his return from the defeat of Shalomor and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him, Abram, in the valley of Shevev, that is the king's valley, probably not saying this step right, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high, and he blessed him, and he said, blessed be Abram, of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abram, gave him a tenth of all the spoils. So this is, uh, this, we're back in the formative days. This is all in the formative days of Abram Entering into a covenant with God by faith, not through works, not through perfection. This is way before the law. The law, the tabernacle, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, uh, the ceremonial law, all of that didn't come until 430 years later. So there's a good season here where Abram, whose name is about to be changed in, verse, in chapter 15, the next chapter his name is about to be changed to Abraham, whereas the consonant from Yahweh will be added to his name. And when the consonant from Yahweh is added to his name, he'll go from being known as father to father of many nations. I mean, you know, when God adds to your name, he changes your DNA and the super comes upon your natural. Amen? And so this is what's happening. And and this is all about a relationship with, with faith, and it's God setting things up so that when the Messiah comes, because everything is getting set in motion for us to walk by faith, for us to have an inheritance by faith, and everything that's happening with Abraham is for him to believe what God is telling him and to be attached to God through faith, and Melchizedek who were told in Hebrews chapter 7, existed, had an existence in the earth, and we don't know how long he had this existence. Maybe he was actually hanging out because, uh, by the way, uh, the appearance of him didn't surprise Abram. But it says in Hebrews chapter 7 that he had no genealogy, that he had no mother and father, that he was one like the Son of God. So this Melchizedek, we don't know how long he actually uh, 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 traversed or um, held an earthly priesthood or had a relationship with Abram. But what we know is that 
He had a divine connection with God. What we know is he had a supreme priesthood. The priesthood was a priesthood of faith, not of works, whereas the Aaronic priesthood was a priesthood that was embellished and interconnected to the law, the Decalogue, and the sacrificial system. Here, there's a covenant that is shared, a covenant meal. This is a covenant meal, by the way, the bread and the wine. And many theologians believe that this was the first, like, a a, a pre-communion. This was a foreshadowing of the broken body of Jesus. And most theologians believe that this actually was a Christophany. This was Jesus showing up and spending time with Abram and actually inaugurating a priesthood relationship with Abram, knowing that out of the loins of Abram would come Levi and would come Aaron or the Aaronic priesthood. So out of Levi, out of Levi, I mean out of Abram would come this lineage. And so the relationship begins as a relationship of blessing, unity, communion with God, a covenant relationship, and a relationship of faith. This takes us back to mixing our faith with the good news, doesn't it? That, that this whole thing, that, that um, part of what I was sharing with you recently, uh, <coughs> that I'm getting a lozenge, and we have a victory upon us. How many of you know God is good? Amen. You Okay. What Paul, what Paul brings emphasis to much uh, is that, the, that the, the covenant of promise, the covenant of promise, the covenant of faith existed before the covenant of law. And that the law was added to the promise until he who was promised, Christ, would come. So that we, by entering into Christ, enter into the promise, the fullness of the promise, the promise of communion with God. The promise of the Spirit by faith. Amen? Is that all right? Let's read a couple of verses and then we'll close. I'm going to ask the band to come and help us this morning. We're barely scratching the surface. Uh, as we get into this chapter, uh, as we get into this chapter, actually, he goes on to say, in chapter 5, he's like, there's a lot more I want to say about Melchizedek, uh, but I can't do it because you've become dull of hearing. He says, he goes on to say, you've become dull of hearing because you've essentially, you've backslid a little bit from the gospel of grace. You've backslid from the word of righteousness by faith. How many of you know that our righteousness is granted us through Jesus, in Jesus, by Jesus, through faith? Amen? 
And, and we have to remember that as we leave here this morning. The fact is, uh, this might be um, a good verse to leave on. Uh, hand me my phone, love, because that'll be my Bible. Let's stand this morning. I want to go over to Galatians chapter 3 and read that to you. God did a lot of cool things in our midst this morning. We can expect signs and wonders the moment our eyelids open. You could have been louder on that. Because it's the truth. And we can be excited about that. The moment our eyelids open, we can expect signs and wonders. The fact is, he says... In Mark 16, 15 and following, he loves to confirm the word with signs that follow. This is just normal for our God is to confirm that we have a covenant, confirm we're in the Abrahamic covenant, confirm that we are partakers of the promises of the Spirit, confirm that there's there's really no limit to God's love, to God's goodness, to God's outpouring in your life. And to know that it's, not, that it's not based on your works, but the most important thing is your faith, that's pretty significant. And what I want to get into, uh, and eventually we will, eventually we'll have time, is that we have to see ourselves as righteous through the gift of righteousness before we can actually bring forth works of righteousness. That our success, our success in bringing forth the fruit of righteousness is actually dependent on grabbing the identity of Jesus right now. Grabbing that I am the righteousness of God right now. Yeah, yeah, but you're not perfect yet. Yeah, but I am the righteousness of God right now. I am. Grabbing that as an identity is so critical. And this is what he's going to try to drive home a little bit more in Hebrews chapter 5 as he talks about Melchizedek and then he talks about he doesn't want us to be dull. And we get dull when we go back to the law instead of staying connected. See, the law says your identity is directly correlated to your behavior. So every time you mess up, that's your identity. If you lie, you're a liar. If you covet, you're a coveter. So the law determines identity according to behavior. And of course, it condemns. But what we have in Christ determines identity through birth. You've been born of the Spirit. And since you're born of the Spirit, you're a child of God. And you're a child of God just like my kids bear my last name, whether they act like me all the time or not, they're still my kids. They're still of my family. And this is what he's trying to say. And I want your faith to be provoked to leave here this morning believing that you are a dispenser of signs and wonders, not because of your perfection, but because of your faith. Your faith is alive. You're keeping your faith at work. You're keeping your faith powerful. He says to the Galatians, 
Who has bewitched you? You that saw Jesus crucified. I want to learn this of you. Verse 2. You who received the Spirit. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you foolish, having begun in the Spirit, that now you would think you would be made perfect by returning to that which is of the flesh? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. I'm going to just invite you to just say, yeah, stir my faith again, Lord. Stir my faith again. Stir my... Remember, faith is not putting things that belong to you now off to the far future. Faith is saying yes now. Faith is saying yes now. I'm a son of God now. I'm a daughter of God now. My body is healed now. My heart is awakened now. I'm bearing the fruit of the goodness of God now. The promises of God are mine now. They are mine now. Oh yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to partake of the promises of God uh, when I finally start praying more or I get my act together. Uh, no, the promises of God belong to me right now. Lord, we mix our faith with that. We thank you for a high priest. A high priest who began a brand new priesthood who restored us to the promises you made to Abraham of whom we've entered in. We've entered in not to a tabernacle that was here made with hands, but we have entered in to the tabernacle in the heavenlies, that we come to the mercy seat. We're able to gather around that place where Jesus represents us, not only as the sacrifice, but as the priest of this better covenant to pour out upon us the enablement to walk with you, to have communion with you, and to overcome the devil and the curse. Come on, say that with me. I overcome the devil and the curse. I overcome the devil and the curse. I've entered in to the very heavenly realms whereby I can partake of the power of God. I'm a partaker of the divine nature and the curse and the demonic realm is under my foot. Now, in Jesus' name. Yeah, let's worship as we go this morning.